But I tell people when it comes down to it, the only thing that's different between me and you is this silly little accent I have. That's it. Welcome to Third Culture Africans, the lifestyle podcast for dreamers, thinkers, and doers. We celebrate artistry, share stories from those brave enough to create something and succeed, listen to diverse perspectives on African success, and those shifting the needle on culture. I'm Zezaria Kisao, your host. On this week's episode of Third Culture Africans, my guest is Adora Umba. She is an African contemporary art dealer, curator, but first um, a great student of the African contemporary art space and has worked in that space through several careers as a journalist in PR and communications and in marketing. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did sitting with Adora. It's a great episode for catching someone at the cusp of a huge growth phase in their career. And it's been a pleasure watching Adora's career blossom. Thank you, Adora, for joining us on this week's episode of Third Culture Africans. Oh, it's lovely. Thank you so much for having me. It's about time. <laughs> I know. Um, I think you were you were one of my earlier guest choices quite early on in the recordings of the podcast. Crazy yeah. it's taken us this long to get it in, but we got it in anyway. So thank you for joining us. Oh no, I'm I'm so glad to be here. <laughs> you are art advisor, consultant, all round, all about harnessing sort of creativity, but Prior to this, you moonlighted as a journalist, presenter, PR, marketing and comms. You can talk us through, I suppose, the transition, right? Like your CV is great African kid CV, Columbia University. Yes. <laughs> it is, right? <laughs> right. You took, yeah. you took all the boxes to begin with, but heritage wise, mm. you're half Nigerian, half Ghanaian. Yes, that's right. And identify clearly with both. Uh, <laughs> yes, identify. I call myself a Gargerian. Um, a coin. It was a term coined by a family member. Gargerians are Ghanaian Nigerians. So I and I'm equally. I, it, on my good days, I can be Nigerian. On my good days, I can be Ghanaian. It depends on my mood, but I am both. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, but super super well rounded as both. I must admit. Um, oh, thank, oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm, no, I'm, 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 I'm just, yeah, I'm destroying stereotypes of both of them. <laughs> we met a few years ago as a result of having, I guess, mutual friends and everyone feeling like we needed to have this sort of group of young African women who were, you know, doing things and trying to, to push sort of collective culture forward. Yes. And mm -hmm. at the time, I think Afropolitan was... At his inception. Yes, just about to start, actually. Yeah, and it was very clear what you were thinking of doing and watching you execute that as beautifully as you've done over the last three years has been a pleasure to watch. And also your move back to Ghana and the work that you're doing there, especially, and being really plugged into to creating value. So I guess I'll let you introduce yourself to listeners because... Obviously, I have the benefit of hindsight in every episode, and sometimes yeah. I tend to to do all the talking for the guests, but I'll let you introduce yourself. <laughs> Thank you so much. That was a really lovely introduction. It's, it's kind of weird that it's been three years, gosh, or for more. For those listening, uh, my name is Adora Mbar. I am indeed a mother who's a lovely Ghanaian, a father who's a terrific Nigerian, grew up in London, Lagos and Accra, so kind of feel like I'm actually the perfect third culture kid. I'm incorporating three very different but very wonderful aspects of my identity. Yes, I'm an art advisor, an art consultant. Essentially, I buy and sell art for private clients, corporate clients. If you need art in, in an institution or if you need it for a project from hotels. I've also done creative collaborations with some fashion houses for my artists like Gucci. And just really, if you have anything to do with contemporary in particular, Contemporary African art, information, how to buy, where to buy, where to go, what to see, 
who to invest in. That's what I've been doing. I guess like it all kind of started as a kid. I'm one of those that wanted to be an artist, but then didn't believe myself good enough and also had West African parents that told me it was, inverted commas, a hobby. So (laughs) I think (laughs) it's kind of been wonderful having this full circle and coming back to it, albeit from a business side, and essentially putting all these wonderful images in people's homes or or offices or public spaces. This podcast is sponsored by Malay Natural Science. Malay's products are inspired by the rich landscapes, alluring scents, and ancient wisdom of Africa. Their luxurious fragrance and body care range balances 100% natural active ingredients and scientifically proven formulas to heal, protect, and pamper your skin. Malay ships worldwide and you can buy their products at maleeonline.com. They also offer a free sample if you'd like to try. I've basically been in an environment where I either have to speak a lot, which is perfect for me because I talk a lot, or I, or I get to be around creatives all the time. So, you know, even when I worked in PR and marketing, it was, you know, PR in particular was for fine artists on not African artists then, I was representing American and European artists, but it was actually a really wonderful experience being on the other side and learning what the PR companies go through when they're promoting and then having that as a tool for what I do now when I promote um, African artists. The great thing is by being a journalist and working in African art for such a long time, like reporting on it and the business aspect and artists as well, My network is really extensive. It's actually quite amazing. There's a lot of artists that I first met at the beginning of their careers too, and we were all in it together, Um, like Moffat Takadiwa and and other artists like this who are now very successful. And Mm. and I look back on some of the old interviews or footage that we used to have, and you see literally Mm. the progression and the evolving of the artist as well as me. And it's like, gosh, has it been like, this guy's now got his work in Jay-Z's private collection. When... We met in London, yeah. it was his first time there, you know, and he was so shy. Yeah. And yeah, so it's it's really lovely having all these friends and stories and, and being brought up in London and then being a Ghanaian and Nigerian. The wonderful thing is I have a great support and peer group of fellow people in the art industry in Nigeria and in Ghana and in the UK and a little bit in the States as well. You know, I actually went to uni in the States for two years, so I feel like I've got all yeah. the... All, all of it covers. You know? you're, 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 uh, you're, you're, you're a real export of Africa. I, I mean, I've just gone everywhere, haven't I? <laughs> but, um, you're a real export. <laughs> we can delve into sort of early Adora and your passion, because you, you touched on the fact that you didn't consider yourself good enough to become an artist, but always had a passion for art. I guess your first entry was in sort of PR comms and then Mm -hmm. journalism. I guess we can touch on that evolution because at university, you went into university knowing this was what you wanted to do or you didn't know? Oh, no, absolutely no idea. No, no, I didn't know. It's all been quite organic. My dad's a collector and I think we've always had art in our homes. Like he he doesn't just collect African artists but international as well. But I remember that's how how the whole kind of thing stemmed from was because we have all these like incredible images, paintings, sculptures, like haphazardly in our home in Lagos and in London. So when I actually went to uni, I mean the plan of course is like my mother's a lawyer, my dad was in banking, so standardly, like most African parents, I was told to be a lawyer in which I rebelled and said no. So I went and did philosophy and sociology (laughs) instead. But um, the love of art was always there, but it was more like a thing my my father in particular and I used to do together. Mm -hmm. We used to travel a lot with my dad and we'd always go to a gallery, a museum, no matter where in the world. So I've literally, you know, from Hong Kong to Tokyo, Switzerland, South Africa, anywhere, I was like dad's little companion. So I used to get all this wonderful kind of, experience being in these huge institutions or even small galleries but just basically kind of consuming art all the time never Mm. really thinking it would be a real um, job or livelihood to be honest when I went to uni I wanted to be in comms luxury comms or a journalist that was my plan Mm -hmm. and then when I came out that's why I went straight into that arena enjoyed it but wasn't really satisfying but what I did love about working in that arena was you know being in the offices I was at were in Mayfair and Mm. you know during lunch and stuff I could go to galleries and this is when Mm. I started seeing all these 
a um, you know African art specific gallery sprout mm. up. You know, mm. Ayo at Taffeta was one of the first, you know, Gafra, the Gallery of African Art, and this is Cooper. Yeah. So, you know, these these things started happening. And I was, you know, started seeing, you know, small by small, you know, Tiwani started, October Gallery, of course, is there, you know, in yeah. Garden Garden. So I started spending my free time and also like, you know, evenings after work, hanging out and going to exhibitions of African artists. And that was how it really kind of started that I just loved it. Like I loved speaking with them. I loved speaking to the artists, I loved speaking to the curators. I, I loved, you know, absorbing, wanted to buy one or two if it wasn't you know, going to break the bank, which it didn't back then. Mm. <laughs> yeah. But now... No, but let's, 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 let's be fair, right? Even as a young person entering into the African art space, yes, in comparison to other cultures or countries or more developed spaces outside of our own, it's still disposable income. Mm, absolutely. That is absolutely um, true. So whether or not in comparison, we're not priced as you would expect of the equivalent from, you know, a Brooklyn artist, for instance, but it's still mm-hmm. a, a good chunk of disposable income. I want to touch on your Arise journalism days. <laughs> okay. Because you were very much a natural at that, right? Like that came easy. I really, I appreciate that as a compliment because honestly, I was terrified. Like I originally was a producer and I liked being a producer. I had to write scripts. I had mm. to research. I was behind the scene. I never mm. actually wanted to be in front of the camera. That was never like... I never. I didn't go to a rise to be in front of the camera. I wanted to be behind it. Really, it's, with your yeah. accent. <laughs> I. I. Don't, I mean, I know. Like you know, the the chairman of a rise when he interviewed me, he, the first thing he actually said was, he was like, right, you know, yes, we'll have you as a presenter. And I was like, no, sir. Um, yes, actually, you I can't rather speak English. Be... <laughs> exactly. You know, he's like, yes, you know, you're small. You have small nose. You can speak well. Well, we'll put you in front. And I'm like, oh, sir, you know, actually, I'd rather be behind. Learn the ropes. So I, I told him, can I learn the ropes first? Like, I want to learn everything first. And he's looking at me and yeah. he's like, are you sure? And I was like, I really... I've never, I'm very funny with all the big mouth and the bubbling. I, I'm actually very shy sometimes. So I was like, no, I would rather be a producer and direct or and learn how to be a director or something like that. So he was like, okay, no problem. Mm-hmm. So the wonderful thing about being a producer was then I was on the, got to, you know, book the guests. So I, and we, you mm-hmm. know, because it was at, it at its inception, there's a lot of freedom in terms of the type of stories we could cover. So, mm. you know, I was first told to be, covering all these very businessy, very boring, you know, news things. But I realized that, you know, culture, you know, there was going to be a morning culture show and all these things. So I put myself forward to be a part of that team. And then now I have the chance to essentially cover what I want. So back then, I remember, I can't remember his name and I'm so sad to have forgotten it, but there was a Kenyan artist that was green artist. He was, he was, he was covered by BBC and CNN because he was making these incredible sculptures with recyclable materials so I remember wanting to find other similar kind of artists like that Mm. and then that's how I kind Mm. of started because once I found you know once we did something like that it then became this thing of oh gosh I just want to find different type of contemporary artists and interview them so always have this little segment where we will bring in a contemporary artist and yeah so this was wonderful but of course yes the jump then had to you know my old guy then was like look yeah Got to get in front of the camera now. So, <laughs> but, I, but I, I, I feel like, but that was the first time in media we were starting to have open conversations about contemporary art. Oh yeah, especially oh, African yeah. contemporary art. So yeah, I guess a little bit ahead of its time in terms of size of market and people who are appreciating it on a larger scale than what we see now with Artex and 154 and participation in shows like the Armory, etc. But at the time, I think you were one of the first people to start to have conversations, even with the artists in media, in mainstream ways, as opposed to within art circles, right? Like Arise is a mainstream media platform. Yes, that's true, actually. I think it was because that was the time that it was all just kind of kind of fell together. But that was the time that people as an international people started viewing African art and contemporary art as a viable art industry. But yeah, I think you're right, because when I think about it now, no one was really interviewing these artists, no one was really putting them anywhere. I had my, you know, my blog, that's when Afropolitan Collector kind of started as a blog. 
because you know mm. the things that the the interviews that we didn't put on air I wanted them to keep of course and share so I'd share it on Facebook or on my old blog but the only person mm. I knew other than me that was speaking about African art funnily enough was uh, Giles Pepia who's the now he's the director mm. of contemporary art of Bonhams and you know and mm. it was that it was literally just us two like any anytime someone wanted a comment it was you know him or me and yes. I never actually thought about it that way because now of course everyone talks about it it's so normal and it's so wonderful I mean mm. you see you see artists in wallpaper magazine you see them in the time mm. you know time magazine new york mm. times but you're right then you didn't see anyone I mean, literally, other no. than maybe a Yunka Shonibare here and then yep. a, or Elanatsui there, maybe a coverage. But you didn't even see him speak. You know, I don't actually mm. remember seeing many interviews or coverage of seeing Yinka himself talk about his work back then. So, oh gosh, what a little... I feel quite proud now. I was like, oh, okay, all this yes, time I was sweating so to go on yes, the TV. So, <laughs> so you should. So you should. And and I think that seems to be something common with every guest, right? And this is why Third Culture Africans is important for me, because hardly do we get to share these stories by us, for us, in context. Yes, when you're being interviewed by the FT or, you know, contributing to something that isn't a platform that is our platform, you would present these things completely differently. And the realization of what you've been able to contribute to the culture and even the work that you've done, however passionate you were about it, perhaps you never really got the opportunity to take a step back and kind of see. And also for other people to realize that there are people who have worked behind the scenes to make what you see accessible and possible as a source of inspiration to getting them to a place where if there is a young person who or even a peer who wants to do a complete 360 on their career or you know stay-at-home mom who is thinking of her future and knows that she has something else in her to, to hear someone else's story and be motivated and inspired by that to come on board because we're not going to see much change or even movement forward until we have more people, more of these conversations, and more people who have the platforms to explore even further the beauty that we have as Africans, whether diasporan Africans or Africans in Africa. Like, you know, you've now taken your work and taking that to Africa in a different way. But before we get into, I guess, chapter, I want to say chapter three <laughs> of your story, there's the part around the PR and the comms that I really want to touch on, because I think there's an element of, I guess, especially in, in our African societies or communities, where you're not allowed to change trajectory, you're not allowed to change yes. direction. Mm everyone's afraid of change isn't it it shows like you're not what is it you're not focused if you change career paths right I, yeah I got, where's uh, the progress how yeah. are you focused yeah what are exactly. you doing what are you yesterday doing? this one today this Tomorrow one this one exactly exactly <laughs> oh god like it's funny actually because i think with that I have, my parents are very different with the way I think they have brought in their little attitudes and how they raised me because my dad was very like, you will find your path. Don't stress. Because I felt that sometimes, you know, I was putting pressure on myself because I was never, you know, I was, I felt like I was one of those people that I could do a job and I could do a job really well, but I wasn't happy. And for whatever mm. reason, that happiness was very, very important to me. I needed to feel excited to get up and go to work. I needed to feel ex because when I love something, it doesn't time doesn't exist. I'd be the last one there. I'll be the first one there. It doesn't matter because I love what the project mm. I'm doing. But my mother <laughs> was. Uh, I mean, to, I love mummy so much. So mummy was like, mm. uh, like literally, exactly like, what are you doing with your life? keep changing mm. your minds you can't stay still um and the mm. funniest thing is a uh, bless her heart but the art thing even honestly I will be very honest with you now I think it's only the last two years or year she has accepted that it's a real viable thing I've been doing and like now she's the one that tells everyone about me and it's like oh you have to mm. buy art from my daughter you have to sell art with my daughter mm. but it took her you know it took her <laughs> Wow. A while, but I, yeah. But um, I think because I didn't feel afraid to 
because dad was so like you know you will find something that you really love like it's one thing that you know I've done a couple of talks and stuff here and young kids always ask you the same thing what did you do to get there how did you know and I'm really honest with people and I said I didn't know I didn't know at all it's a combination of passion luck timing and focus honestly I think that's kind of how it happened there's a part of the equation that you know I think would be irresponsible of us not to throw into conversation which is by and large having the privilege of having Mm. options having the privilege of having the diverse exposure that you've had with travel with education with having being you know pan-african or bi-african is that a word (laughs) Um, coming from coming from your heritage being two different african countries And then throwing that into having the privilege of then an education, not just only in the UK, but an education in the US and how that starts to inform who you become. Right. And yeah, that's a really honest and actually very true statement. It's blessings, isn't it? I'm extremely blessed by the life and the backgrounds I have. And I don't Mm -hmm. take that for granted at all. I feel that I think particularly because of that, I really also want to vocalise to those that feel that they may not have the same so they cannot do what I do, that that is completely false. Because, you know, there's a lot of times that, yes, I have travelled and done this, gone here and went to school, whatever. But I tell people when it comes down to it, the only thing that's different between me and you is this silly little accent I have. That's it. It's nothing. That is it. It's the accent I have. I can talk like this and that's it. But that doesn't even mean anything. So, you know, I feel that especially with the world we have now, which is so, you know, wonderfully how more connected it is and things have changed. So you can go across the sea without leaving your house because of, you know, FaceTimes yeah, or videos or things like that. It now seems like a very real thing. You know, I'm that I have clients that I would never have had in a million years, even with all my traveling and stuff back in the day. But because of Instagram mm. and Facebook, I now do in, you know, in mm. literally in parts of the world, North Korea. Would, I mean, mm. would anyone have even, I mean, South Korea, which is the better one? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. whichever the one, no, yeah. yeah, things like that. Yeah. So, um, but I am extremely blessed. I have to say I'm blessed also for the kind of family I had that even gave me the time to figure it out. Mm. That's really, I have mm. to say that because, you know, it's it's not, it, some people it's, some people don't even get that luxury and it, that is a luxury. To be fair, you had the pressure, right? Like, oh, yes. <laughs> you, ha- you had the pressure to turn up with the good right to whom much is given much is expected right we love that one right and yes (laughs) to to then turn up and go oh my god I'm just figuring it out yeah (laughs) like yeah excuse me it's yeah you're not allowed to do that I I think I still actually have like moments of imposter syndrome it's I even do now it's it's yeah, weird. We, talk, we talked about that at the collector series uh, yes. launch. <laughs> yes. And did. I was saying, I hope you, you're sitting at this table and feeling very proud. There's one thing with people who enter into a space and, you know, admittedly, I'm not sure how this is going to work out, but I'm hoping this works out. And they actually follow through and stab at it, right? It's the dreaming and sitting still versus the dreaming and actually giving it a go. It takes bravery, I guess, I have to admit, to actually decide to try something that you're literally like, I don't know how this will end up, but I really, really want to give it a go. Which is why I feel like that's the philosophy of my life. <laughs> yeah, no, but, but it was beautiful for me to see it in real life play out, right? I'm a doer. Thank you. So for me, when I see other people in our communities and cultures, just do. Because mm. I think we have a culture of lots of spectator coaches, right? There's tons of people yes. who are happy to spectate and give views and have opinions. And, oh, and yes. very much that the variable tends to be who is actually turning up and doing the work and who isn't. And for those who are turning up and doing, it doesn't make us any better than the next person. But we're fighting against our own insecurities everything else we've inherited, plus what who we're trying to become. And mm. to watch your journey in the last three years has been beautiful for me. And I feel like with a group of other friends who have taken a bite at something and have given it their all, you know, you packed up and moved to Ghana. Yes. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I, it's still the best decision I think I've made, but yes. 
no, I I appreciate you're making me feel really like lush and stuff like it's it lush I said blush I I'm blushing (laughs) but um no no, I'm (laughs) to to be fair right like a lot of people won't say pack up and move to Africa and figure it out and try and make an impact like we all we all dream in our own different ways to do it and you know I did that I you know when I moved to South Africa in 2009 I moved with a boyfriend I wasn't even married you know (laughs) packed up my load for love and it was very unconventional (laughs) but it does something about making you grow up it does something about you seeing your gifts and wanting to amplify them to make a difference and to help even just one person and and this is not savior syndrome or anything this is just a general understanding that your world perspective gives you the opportunity to actually go in there and and do something and do something you might not execute it where at the end of it everyone is giving you a standing ovation and clapping for you but it opens the door that so many would casually walk through and have no idea where this began and I think that the the dinner at the collector series you know it was three of my friends who had put together this very intimate gathering but for the first time I think a recognition that you know, the work that has been put behind the scenes over the years into African contemporary art is yielding a much bigger platform and mm-hmm. the interest and rightfully so that the young kid who decides that they're good at drawing and want to be an artist can see mm-hmm. a future and a career in pursuing that. Because yes, for a long time, those weren't even options for us. No, and at it's, all. The diversity in industry is so important for fostering, curating, capturing, documenting our history. And this is something you're passionate about, like with art being a medium, not just of expression, but a snapshot in time of our culture. Oh, yes. I mean, it's the one thing I always tell. And now I tell artists I work with all the time, like anyone can paint, anyone can draw. Like there's a lot of incredible painters and draw people that draw. But if you are not a person that's like a storyteller and recording, you know, these fragments and these situations of our time, like, I mean, I honestly then don't understand the purpose of what you're doing. Honestly, I mean, maybe it's a bit tough to say, but, you know, Mm. I'm a true believer that art, even if the story is no story, that is still a story, if that makes sense, you know. Mm. But Mm. I think especially I'm passionate about it, especially because, you know, we don't really have these wonderful institutions that record or archive our history. Our history is told by others. Our history is not told. Stories, parables, songs. Exactly, you know. And But then things like museums or spaces that can maybe hold or record, we don't have that many of those infrastructures. Mm. For whatever reason, destroyed, not considered important, blah, 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 blah. I don't even want to get into it. But, you know... So when you have these, I always tell these young artists, don't just paint, don't just put that brush and just not think about anything. I mean, the world, there's so much happening in your private world, in your family world, in, in, in the, your village, mm. in your town, in the big wide world. Put, you know, have to think about that and then put your, mm. you know, paintbrush to the paper. I think it's so important. I really do. I think that's what makes the difference between a painter and an artist. Yeah. And, and there's something about, I guess, your work now where it's, very much about harnessing and fostering young talent on the continent yes yes i i think uh um you know the wonderful things all the guys that i started with i guess are now you know doing it well big galleries big shows all the young back then would have been the emerging new talented artists so i really want Mm. to focus on the next generation you know there is Mm. and as you said earlier because now art now seems like a viable and a real not just thing you can do but actually be successful and 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 have it as your thing for a lot Mm. of young artists something that we never had that choice or even consideration it's it's wonderful Mm. because now there's a lot of people and a lot of talented artists coming out of the continent and they are Mm painting and creating and and making these wonderful artworks and pieces but then don't really know how to navigate the industry itself because the art industry Mm. it's like internationally and not you know not just like contemporary African art or modern African or African art itself I'm talking like the industry as a whole is a very Mm. cutthroat 
dangerous little place if you're not sure what you're doing. You know, one can always just paint and sell their things on a private website on Instagram. Great. You'll probably mm. even sustain for a while. But you see, these kids now have big dreams. You see, they're not just thinking, oh, I just want to paint and make money. They're like, I want to show at MoMA. I want to show mm. at their tape. I want to show at... Because they know, you know what that so, is now, right? Exactly. But then how do they get there? How do we get these, you know, these young artists from a village outside Abuja or, or, or Lagos or South Africa or Zimbabwe to MoMA. You know, this is where I mm. think the players and the actors, people like me, and I even have to, you know, mention a few like Nikki Bakari, who's incredible, does mm. what I do, and other peers and friends, you know, I didn't relate on Ario, talking to Peter side, even with all these, you know, from Artex and things, like this is what mm. we are doing. We are getting you from the village or the world you think you can never leave to show mm. at these you know international spaces that's like i think like that's the cause i feel like putting my fist up in the air <laughs> that's my <laughs> mission <laughs> yeah and a good mission at that so you've done work with the ghana's ministry of culture yes tourism and arts i think that's perhaps one of your most publicized work as the afropolitan collector recently mm-hmm. having a huge role to play in the what was it year of return not so much year of return a little bit more I would say before the I feel like I enjoyed the over 10 I didn't really do anything. You enjoyed it. Uh, <laughs> you just wrote the roller coaster of all I this just, enjoyment. I just saw exactly all this enjoyment. Did I do anything? No. Um but no, it was more the beginning stages. I was instrumental in forming and being a part of the initial big the infrastructures and policies for the creative arts. Mm. Um, right at the beginning and just kind of you know getting Ghana used to the fact that we have a creative arts industry and it's a real thing that's viable and just you know and putting it on the map I mean that was when internationally people like Bonhams and Sotheby's who'd never you know always mm. only go to Nigeria or South Africa for mm. the first time came to Ghana and we're having international mm. artists and curators coming to Ghana in particular not mm. to Nigeria necessarily or South Africa so it was just mm. more of this kind of beginning of getting us out there you know just trying to Mm. get us promoting and getting us out there while trying to navigate here and learn also learn you know I didn't grow up as much here as I did in Lagos so I felt that to be very honest like I felt that I moved back to Ghana rather than Lagos where most people thought I should have gone having been grew up there and stuff but I didn't go there because I felt that Nigeria has got it when it comes to art now you know we've got it Mm. we've got galleries we've got art exhibitions we've got lots of artists we've got art schools we've got more museums being built they get it you know Ghana don't Mm. quite get it yet you know we don't have a local buyer base at all not really sure art is okay it's pretty but who cares that's the vibe you know Mm. even though it's such a country so rich with like textiles and culture Mm. music and all these other cultural art forms I find it crazy that they Mm. don't see that it's this is their thing like Ghana out of all the countries in Africa is a cultural country that's where we thrive you know 100% let's just take the African music scene right hip life high life is yes exactly hip life and high life is going in exactly to be fair you you guys don't get enough credit but Let's not get into the jollof rice debates because that. that ah, I will tell you the truth. Me, I'm both, so you know I'm not lying. I'm both, and I love both my grandmothers very much. So if I tell you that the best jollof is Ghanaian, don't not, at me. Don't at me. Oh, please, everyone, at her, at her when she finally tells us what her Instagram name is and go go ham because. It's, <laughs> I, I think I think that that is the debate that will carry on for generations. Um, I see. But I, you know, you, you you briefly and casually mentioned working with Gucci. Would you like to tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, um, that was really cool. I don't know. It was so random. I I didn't didn't expect it. At, at Sandra Michelle. So basically, they were doing. I, you know, sometimes you get messages or emails and you think it's a prank because it's just, oh, it's like, that was me you know, you don't, legit. yeah, yeah, you just think it's not, it's not, it's, you see the email, which friend, like, oh, who, it's, who it's is, like, who's yeah. pulling my legs, who's this, you know, it's like, which scam artist is this, you know what I mean? So I was, you know, minding my business in Accra and I'm checking my emails and whatnot and I get an email from Gucci and I remember being like, okay, this is bullshit. Actually, actually, first I thought, Maybe it's like I bought something. 
And so, but then um, when I opened it, this was a long email about um, from you know the team under Alessandra Michelle and they were talking about how they're doing this big art fashion collaboration in Shanghai, incorporating different aspects of art globally. And mm. they saw a couple of my old articles about art that I've written. Mm. But they said that there's an article in particular that I wrote about the sappers. That you know. Yes. To be honest, I'm I'm waiting for someone to do that part of our culture justice. And if anyone's yes. listening to this episode <laughs> that has and in with a supper or someone yes. a part of that movement i would love to have them on the show because i think that's just a beautiful expression of of us but it's incredible yeah, i digress, it's, it's, I digress. Yeah, no but exactly and i think you're right so yes we do you should definitely get one but it was so it was this kind of combination of art and fashion expression so they wanted they you know they liked my article on the supper and they asked you know so they they were gucci were making essentially like a fake newspaper like a fake mm. new york times kind of thing which would be part of an installation of i have to get the artist's name because i really don't want to get this wrong Ooh. so they asked for of course permission for to use my words mm. and i said no problem then they actually came back going actually can we have the whole article which images would you want to use so it was really wonderful because it was kind of one of these things that i didn't expect at all it was it, and it was made mm. me laugh because it was my writing side of it rather than rather than the arty side but they were yeah. so wonderful I mean they sent me so many pdfs they sent me links they were like can you come to Shanghai for the opening I'm like no unless you fly me no but um but it was really really lovely and it was nice to see because what I have asked them for which I still have never picked up which they said they'd leave in London was the actual newspaper because mm. I only just got the pdfs and images and they said that you know I can mm. pick one up when I come I never went to Gucci and got it but that was really cool like I like creative collaborations and I feel like there's some artists that are already really great at putting art in things you'll never expect like Laolu uh, the artist in New York he mm. went from you know drawing all these beautiful tribal and traditional yeah, images on the, people. the Yoruba yeah mm-hmm. yeah you know and the Dinkra exactly and and Yuli mm. so it's like I feel that there's this wonderful space now where you can um there can be creative collaborations in you know from luxury houses to and um, or fashion houses and stuff like that and yeah. even here I was doing you know I did a couple of pop-ups in hey how, um, how can you miss like the Stella McCartney the Dior the oh like, gosh <laughs> hey there's I uh, think there's so much happening where <laughs> unfortunately and this is where it's unfortunate where as the owners of culture we were almost being overlooked and other people are now championing the cause which yep. I feel like given the opportunity and I think that's probably why I woke up one day and I was like you know what this idea of this podcast and having a lot of these conversations that I have in private needs to start happening somewhere Mm -hmm. where it is our voice and our narrative and for our people to understand that there are people who have been doing great work who have made a lot of these things and you take it for granted in mainstream you know someone would probably see that installation by Gucci and have no idea that you mm. contributed to that work they'll just think oh mm. Gucci ah, they saw something in Africa ah, that's nice you yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> um, or even or even you identifying with that work or the pieces or the inspiration or how they've styled something but not really understanding that actually someone else was a visionary behind that and actually that someone mm. else kind of looks like you and that for me is perhaps a a driving force behind continually trying to diversify our story these conversations to hopefully give us our own platform where the next time someone googles as they do right because the less we document the less we put out there the less people and the rest of the world when they are interested will find and so it's beautiful to hear that through your writing because I was going to get there because sometimes people don't get how opportunities arise right like sometimes you can be working on something and that thing yields nothing Mm. right like you you thought it was you bought something come and return it (laughs) whatever right but but you don't know where it's going to take you you have no idea what doors it's going to open I guess this is the question about doing something you love and making sure what you put out is not just good work 
but as best as possible, great work. The absolute best every single time is very important. I think it's like opportunity is wonderful. I'm of the school of everything is an opportunity. That's my thought process. So it can become Mm. stressful because then I say yes to everything. And now I'm learning Mm. that there are some things I don't have to say yes to. But the reason I always Mm. say yes is because there's... I feel that especially with my journey and what I've been doing, I can go somewhere, even if there's like an event or something and I think I don't want to go, I don't want to speak, I don't want to do whatever, but then I go, Mm. I then meet someone. The opportunity comes through meeting somebody or listening to a conversation about something. And those Mm -hmm. have happened to me so much that I would rather just you know take whatever opportunity comes my way or you know no matter how Mm. inverted cause small or big it is so you know local group want to have a chat with young collectors no problem I'll Mm. I'll love to speak I'll love to join you know this person wants to do this no problem I want to do that too so I feel like that's it's very important I think especially when working on your own and I have found personally you know working for myself and working you know my own company is that you have to be proactive otherwise Mm. nothing's going to happen for you I mean, you can have all mm. the great ideas and whatnot, but as you said, if you don't mm. put your best out there often, I don't know to this day how Gucci found me. I, I do not know how <laughs> Alessandro, I don't know what Alessandro and Michelle would have Googled, or maybe it was contemporary African art, maybe it was contemporary African art expert, or maybe it was contemporary art writer, God knows. But because I have been putting my articles and things. And the quality of your work spoke for itself, right? For them, for them <laughs> to consider you. But uh, you touched on something which was, you know, you've also had a transition from freelancer to Mm. company right Mm. business and I think seldomly do we talk about the differences especially in our culture and our space and you can perfectly build a career in a future being either or as a freelancer because I think in the African context you need to have a company why aren't you a company (laughs) you need to have a company <laughs> yeah, but for a while you were a freelancer, right? I will say freelancing is not a sexy job though. It's it's, it's very yeah. it's but then it's no different than your own thing. That's true. But yeah, I was freelancing. It was um after Arise. It was when I was trying mm. to figure out what to do with the art thing. And I knew I didn't mm. want to go back to working nine to five, but I still didn't quite mm. know what to do with Afropolitan the blog, but I knew I needed to do something. Mm. So to keep busy, keep to sustain myself, everything. But um was I was freelance writing. So that's when I did a long a lot of stints at BBC Africa and then I wrote started mm. writing art articles for many publications and and that was fun. But it's a weird time because you see, I think maybe the culture and the mindset that we were brought up in. You know, I never once stopped to think, you know, because I really was sustaining myself and I was enjoying working Mm. in different with different teams and different companies and different um, publications. But because in my mind, it was always like, this is not it. This is just a stopover. Mm. So you've got to figure it out. I never really Mm. took time to just be like, gosh, you know, I really did that thing at BBC Africa. That's awesome. Oh my God. I really really had that thing with AFT. Oh my God. How cool. Because I was like, oh God, I need to set set my company up. I need to do something. You don't have company. What's going on? Yeah, yeah. My mother again. (laughs) You started. But but, but to be fair, you did do all those things, right? Like, why is every guest so modest, man? You guys. Hopefully you walk away knowing that and and that's doing that at a time where your mum is going, uh, but what are you doing? Can you figure it out? But all of those things created something or helped in the movement of what we see today in African contemporary art. You know, I don't think that's something to dumb down. We tend to have a lot of conversations around age and also ageism in entrepreneurship, especially in the African context and how that looks. And also just our natural, I wouldn't say natural, a measure of success being tons of money. I was also going to say, and sexism as mm. well. Gosh, let's not even forget that part too. <laughs> being a young woman working I, I think, for yourself. I think we need yeah. to have part... Part two, part two of this, uh, part two of this know, episode, right? if, we're, if we're going there. Um, yeah. I, I remember I remember doing like a, a an event, uh, goodness, I want to say last year or the year before. And there was a discussion about sort of being a woman and, and, and funding and people's perception. And, uh, you know, my response to especially the, the, you know, some of the sexist remarks 
that we get often as women, whether it's your father, your uncle, your husband, who has invested in your business. An investment is an investment. They're still expecting a return. And also, you know, without the oxygen that is investment or money, you can invest in something and it yields zero. Yes. So so that doesn't... Yeah, but it doesn't diminish the success of someone who's had... and, And to be fair, every investor book ever written and every successful global entrepreneur will tell you the best kind of money is friends and family money because they're they're less likely to sue you and end you <laughs> if, if it doesn't work out right well you haven't met my um, family but <laughs> no, i'm joking i'm joking they're lovely they would never they would never <laughs> yeah but you know what i mean um and and i think that comes up a lot in conversation and and i think very much it's important that we start to have these conversations because money begets money. And let's be honest, in any, seldomly do you go from zero to a thousand without anyone's help. You know, self-made, yes, self-made, but you know, you have to be in the right rooms and whether your talents take you to those rooms through writing, through journalism, through whatever it might be, there's still things that have changed your trajectory and are things that should be respected and celebrated. Thank you very much for saying that. <laughs> Future plans. You kind of let me in on something. I didn't even know this, but you're, you're working <laughs> on COVID. Everybody COVID. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, COVID. <laughs> I think that there's no one, there's no one since I want to say March, you know, it's almost like, cautionary statement pre-covid mm. or COVID. yeah yeah it's like it's become a term it's like pre-covid covid dependent covid restriction i mean it, you have it's like oh yeah pre-corona times like pre-pc yeah. like pre-corona this was <laughs> no but legit so right like le- le- legit in every business in every business venture i i, I think because we're all going through this for the first time no one's been through this experience before. We're all putting our best foot forward. But you were working on a gallery. Can I say that? Yes. Yeah, yes, it is okay. a gallery. You can say it. Go ahead. Okay. I, haven't, um, I haven't shared this with many people. I'm very excited. I'm just quietly, quietly working away as I'm like a mouse. But yes, a gallery, an art space. <laughs> In in um, Accra, I'll let you tell the story. Well, I'm I'm not going to divulge much, but it's been a dream. Like I realized that has been what I've been working towards as an art dealer and an art advisor. I've always wanted to have my own space because, well, two reasons: one, the love of it, obsessed with mm-hmm. it, and wanting to find and 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 partner with the most inspiring artists ever. But two, I would you know as importantly because we don't have enough infrastructures at all. So a lot of our artists mm. are showing with you know international galleries and which I don't always think have the best interests of their artists at heart but I want it mm. to be a gallery that would partner with you know my brothers and sisters and kind of show mm. them and work with them to stratospheric levels in the art market but it's just it's incredible because honestly if you'd asked me two years ago I always knew I was going to have a gallery like I'm very determined mm. I'm also one of those people when I say I'm going to do something whether luck mm. or some people say my juju it happens Sha. anytime I want to do something or I want to be somewhere well it will happen yeah. so I knew I would have it I never expected yeah. this fast I've only been in Ghana not even three years I never in a million yeah. years expected it to work out this quick and I'm so grateful that it has corona or not I am so grateful that it has because um you know for me now it's it's been navigating and strategizing in the new era and I am actually really glad that the art world has gone a lot more digital because I was always going to yeah. have a very strong digital presence as well as the physical mm. space a lot of people mm. advise me not to even have the physical space anymore because the world has changed but no there's something about brick and mortar maybe I'm old-fashioned like yeah. that yeah but, but but I, I think s- in the context of Africa and Ghana it's it's still very much needed you know we still don't have enough spaces for a young kid to, to go and immerse themselves in in culture and art in that way exactly. and be inspired and use that so I'm I'm all for it yeah no I'm very excited I and as you said pre-corona there was a time that was supposed to open but now one is just being patient and seeing yeah. when it's ready but of course I will be announcing and putting it in press and PR and probably just making throwing yeah. it down everyone's throats once it's ready um the yeah. artists that I'm going to work with are incredible I am so excited to be working with honestly when I say the next gen 
of pure talent and not talent as an African mm. artist. I'm talking talent internationally. Mm. They're mm. just creating in ways that get every time I get a little glimpse of the work or the studio, their studio work, and they send me a WhatsApp, I literally die. I'm like, oh, this is meant amazing. to be. This is amazing. So I'm really excited. Amazing. Yeah. And you yeah. do share some of that on social media. So where where can people find you? For now, everyone, please follow me at at Afropolitan Collector, or one word, Afropolitan Collector. I don't want to tell you the name of the gallery yet because it's still a surprise, but it will automatically transform to the gallery, I think. I've been trying to like figure out with my Instagram, but I was messaging Instagram and saying, can I keep my followers but change my name? And they seem to say yes. So, okay, so this is good. But um, but at the Afropolitan Collector, um, www.com afropolitancollector.com facebook is the afropolitan collector and if yeah i think you share a lot about your your journey through discovering some of these emerging artists and exceptional talent as you are on the journey with them and also your driver who is hilarious he's my highlight nelson you know I've been told that if if it all goes tits up with the arts, I should just like set up. Nelson will become like a like social media star and like get like sponsorship Honestly. deals, and I would just Honestly. live on him. That's my plan. Manage B. him. He is. <laughs> <laughs> he is a legend. You know, also to celebrate people like Nelson who help make these dreams possible by facilitating Absolutely. these missions. Thank you so much for being on this week's episode. I thoroughly enjoyed having you on and the catch-up yes I've missed you it's been too long so it's it's been really lovely (laughs) and hopefully we'll get to see soon when when the world opens up but continue to do you know the work that you're doing and I'm you know strongly in your corner oh thanks Jose and you I mean third culture Africans goodness gracious who would have thunk huh and it's amazing. Uh, and you know, <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> I know the strong. <laughs> so as I'm saying, girl, you too. I'm so proud. But this is Thank really you. fun. And thanks for, thanks to everyone for listening. If you, I'm sorry if I spoke too fast, but it's been wonderful. Thank you, Tato. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Third Culture Africans, the Lifestyle Podcast. We would love to hear from you. So please find us on Facebook or Instagram at Third Culture Africans and leave us a comment. A review goes a long way in getting our show notice. So please leave us one if you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you next time.